0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing the
1: 2010 documentary, Happy People and Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Besterica. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi, Kat. Hi, Remy. Long time no see. Very long time. (laughs) How are your holidays?
0: They were really good. good. I, we, let's see, we haven't potted in a couple weeks mm-hmm. because we were both traveling for the winter holidays, mm-hmm. and it's the first day of the new year, Ooh, 2024. Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> nervous about what this year will have in store. <laughs> Same. <But. laughs> I mean, we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best and we'll do what we can. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I had a really nice break. I'm really sad it's coming to an end and I have to return to the working world, but Mm. it was a good break while it lasted. I had a really good time in Pennsylvania visiting my family and it was a lovely time. How was your holiday? Oh, it was good. I went home to the Chicago area and
1: saw my mom and my aunt. And that was really nice. Um, Scott traveled back with me. We did a 20-hour train ride, which was fantastic. I loved it. I watched a lot of Fringe, which has been my like resurgent hyperfixation. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I started a new video game called The Cult of the Lamb, which is very cute and Stardew-esque. So that was fun. And, yeah, it was just nice to get to have a relaxing break with family and not really do too much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I got to watch so much good stuff. Ooh. It was great. I had a really – I had a real dude's rock <laughs> holiday viewing period, uh, and it was awesome. It was a good time. I saw Maestro and oh. the Iron Claw. Wow. I went to the Iron Claw with my brother, Corey, and my sister-in-law, Cassie, oh. and everyone loved it. We had a great time. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Oh, it gosh. was phenomenal. <laughs> and I saw all of us strangers. Wow. Also dudes rocking out in a different <laughs> way, but <laughs> lots of dudes. Uh huh. And then today I just saw Ferrari, which is absolutely dudes rockin'. (laughs) It was a great time.
1: It was an excellent, excellent time. What was your favorite of the four that you saw over the holidays?
0: Oh, good question. Hmm. I don't know. They're Mm. all fairly equally matched in terms of very good quality and just a variety of approaches to subject matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, interestingly, three out of those four that I listed were biopics in a way. Yeah. Obviously of Leonard Bernstein and Enzo Ferrari, but also the von Eric family mm-hmm. in the case of The Iron Claw. Yeah. And um man, I don't know. I don't know if I could choose. They all just had something very different to offer, but yeah. all equally valuable. I would certainly recommend all of them.
1: Yeah, they all sound amazing. We had talked about going to see Wonka, but didn't end up making it to the theater because we had oh, such a good out. time. No. Yeah. We were playing board games, and we decided that we were having such a great time with that that we decided not oh, to good. go. Oh, good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one night we started watching Oppenheimer at oh. Corey's house, uh-huh. and my mom and stepdad We're like, okay, well, we'll watch a little bit of this, but then we're gonna go back to our Airbnb Uh and like cut to three hours later. They were (laughs) riveted to their seats the whole time, and they didn't leave. And we just watched it straight through to the end. And I was like, hell yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad they liked it. Yeah, it was a a great time. Film amazing. So many good films this break, and I watch. I just watched a documentary on the fly when Mm I had some downtime. And it ended up being one of my favorite things that I've seen this year. Wow. And it's what I'm talking about today. It's Happy People, A Year in the Taiga from 2010. And it's just more dudes rocking out, man. (laughs) It rocks. This is a documentary directed by Dmitry Vasyukov and your guy and mine, Werner Herzog. (laughs) Very yeah. Nice. <laughs> From what I understand, I believe this is a larger project by Vasyukov that Herzog kind of cut down to a documentary-sized piece. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking about like the under-two-hour version that's Mm -hmm. available right now on Amazon Prime. And I watched this at Corey's house. I watched it alone. I don't remember why I was alone, but I was like, I'm going to fire up something on this TV. And I saw this come across, and I saw it was from Werner, and I was like, this looks like my shit. And I turned it on, and immediately I was like, this is indeed my shit. (laughs) This is so good. It's incredible. It is a documentary. That follows a year in the life of fur trappers living and working in a remote region of Siberia, uh, a region along the Yenisei River. And it follows a small group of people. It's just like a couple of subjects, but you are, you begin viewing their lives in the spring and follow them into the thaw of summer and then into the autumn and then into the winter.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And you view how everything they're doing in every season revolves around their trade and preparing for trapping season. And you basically watch them apply their trade with methods that were passed down for centuries Mm. in some of the harshest conditions on Earth. Obviously, it's in Siberia, which is... In very intense. Mm -hmm. And the work is nearly constant and often very dangerous, obviously, but also very highly skilled. And despite the brutal nature of their lifestyle, the men that you're seeing in this documentary seem extremely happy, hence the name happy people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think it was an incredible watch, not just because it was like a pitch straight down the middle of my interests, which is watching people apply a trade outdoors mm-hmm. and commune with nature. Uh-huh. But it was just absolutely restorative and refreshing watching these people that clearly feel like they have a purpose and freedom and satisfaction and are happy with like the skills that they have and they love applying their trade. And the respect that they have for their own livelihoods and the people in their community and the respect for nature and the tools and animals around them Mm -hmm. was profound and extremely satisfying to see. Mm -hmm. So it was not just fascinating watching these people do their work and show what their lives are like and show how they approach their livelihoods and problem solving and all of the work that goes in. To their entire being, but it was also p- very peaceful watching people just really live and thrive in their element, even when those conditions are extremely formidable. Mm-hmm. And so some of the activities that you get to view during the documentary in this like very soothing atmosphere where you're the subjects are explaining their approach to things. And explaining their philosophies in some of all these like varied skills, you get to see them making and setting traps. Uh, they are fur trappers primarily of sable, which I don't think we have around here, but they look like kind of, kind of like a fisher or a large mink mm, okay. or something like that. It looks like. Uh, something like a cross between a mink and a fox, maybe. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Kind of big. Big, like with a long, weaselly body. Oh, <laughs> that sounds cute. I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. So, they show you how to like make these traps and how they operate. And they're really interesting. Mm-hmm. They're carved out of trees and have, they've been making them that way for hundreds of years and they're fascinating.
2: Mm-hmm
0: you watch them fishing for massive pike in the <laughs> river, the biggest pike you've ever seen. Uh-huh. And this one man has this absolutely phenomenal approach where he'll hook a pike and yank it out of the river and then shoot it in the head with a rifle. <laughs> and it's so intensely good. It's incredible. Wow. Um, but they collect all these huge pike and just freeze them outside for food for themselves and their dogs in the winter.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And man, I, I, it makes me so sad to know that this is only possible in these more untouched parts of the world. And it makes me so curious as to what, how the natural world used to operate when Mm -hmm. there was less human interference. That was like the one, one of the like small bummers about the documentary was Seeing the interference of the of modern humans and how that is degrading uh, the native peoples of the region and their ability to their ability to pass down the knowledge from their people to newer generations, mm-hmm. so that was certainly acknowledged but wasn't the exact focal point of the documentary, but you did get to see people doing other types of pass down craftsmanship like crafting skis is extremely essential to the subjects of the documentary because it is absolutely necessary and essential to getting around in the snow is to have a very good quality pair of skis and you make them yourself and you have to pick the right type of wood from the right type of tree with the right type of grain otherwise it's not going to work And you're going to probably die. So making the right skis is very important. And you watch them chop wood and repair their shelters and make bug repellent and make dugout canoes and train their dogs. Their hunting dogs are essential to this entire operation. And so they tell you about like breeding and choosing and training dogs and navigating rivers just all types of stuff that I'm very interested in watching for many hours. (laughs) And so overall, it was a very deeply satisfying and aspirational experience because, Mm -hmm. like I said, it's just absolutely pitched straight at me in terms of my interests. And it is also just expertly narrated by Werner Herzog, so you get to hear the subject's Speaking, but over a lot of it, Werner's explaining to you kind of the overarching structure of what's going on and some of the traditions that are being employed in various seasons. Mm -hmm. But I could listen to him narrate anything all day long. (laughs) Um, but basically, I mean, on top of all that, I just found it profoundly satisfying taking in and absorbing the quiet displays of respect for nature Mm -hmm. and the relationship that the hunters had with their surroundings and their environment and their tools. Like they, this one man talked for an extended period about how important it is to have a good hatchet and how profound that shape is in almost everything that you do. Like, all of these hand tools were so important. Their dogs were so important to them. And the code of their fellow trappers was very important to them. So the respect for these ways of life was steeped into every corner of this documentary, which I deeply enjoyed. And that went, like, hand in hand with a deep respect for self-reliance, which I find very satisfying to watch and also very aspirational, because you know I would love to be out there doing all of these things if I had those skills mm-hmm. so I just I love the displays of self-reliance and craftsmanship while still acknowledging how modern forces are infringing on this way of life, and like the pool of people that are able to do this is shrinking mm-hmm. and a a lot of native peoples in the region are being forced out or kind of whittled down just by forces from the outside world. And we're losing a lot of traditional knowledge because of that. And so I'm really glad this documentary exists so that I can see like these very satisfying processes in their natural setting, but also just to see an example of people operating in their element and the profound happiness that stems from that. Mm. So I think it is somehow the perfect movie to watch this time of year and just think about what it means to be satisfied as a human when you're not like, these dudes are not looking at a computer ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they're not sitting at a desk They're not worrying about anything aside from, like, firewood and food and their dog. And they're so happy. And I just wish we could get, like, a little bit closer to returning to that way of life. (laughs) So, yeah, this was a profoundly great documentary for me and my tastes. And I highly recommend it. It's an incredible watch. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll have to tell scott about that because
1: i think that would be right up his alley we can love it yeah he would love it we're gonna move we're gonna go to siberia (laughs) um yeah that sounds really fascinating and so good just so outside of the norm of what you typically
0: see in the modern world
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah fascinating
0: yeah if you're into any of those subjects check it out, man. It's so good. It's a, it's a breeze to watch too. Yeah. Cause it's just all the type of stuff where as soon as I see it, I am locked in and Mm -hmm. I want to know everything this guy has to say about, um, moose or snow or dogs. And man, I was watching it right before this and I immediately got locked in. I was like, I got to see this. (laughs) I got to see them navigate this river again. Mm -hmm. I got to see these puppies like being introduced to the canoes. And it's (gasps) it's so good. They tell you like, yeah, this they have all of the people in this documentary have such good knowledge to pass down. Mm -hmm. Like this one guy talks about the critical period for shaping a good hunting dog and keeping that drive to hunt alive. And how you can't keep them in indoors for the first six months because mm-hmm. that drive will go away and that critical period is lost. And so he tells you all about how to, how to raise a good hunting dog from the start and then regales you with tales of valor from his most courageous hunting dogs. And it's, it's so oh. powerful. <laughs> it's great. I love that. Yeah. There's an event where the dogs. Well, he tells you a tale of the dogs um encountering a bear and oh my the fallout from that. And it is just riveting.
1: Wow. Yeah. Man, I would not do well if I encountered a bear. I would not like that. I mean, who would? Impossible.
2: Mm-mm. Wow.
1: Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. You said that was on Amazon Prime? Yep, it's on Amazon Very Prime nice.
0: right now. Please check it out. It is so cool.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, I think we're going to have tons of overlap. Um, I hope so. I'm already, I've already got a pretty decent list. Um, I have not been watching a bunch of movies like Remy, but I have been reading many books. So Scott and I have a tradition on new years where, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, we spend as much time as we possibly can just reading our respective books. Oh, cool. And so, one of the books that I read is called Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Besterica. And... This is a novella that had a lot of buzz in 2023. I was seeing it on a lot of Instagram accounts. I saw it mentioned by quite a few horror influencers and book accounts that I follow.
0: Yeah, I've definitely seen it come up on BookTube
1: a lot. Yeah, and it had a very like captivating cover. It had a very interesting title, and I picked it up while I was traveling for the holiday and I started it on the train back and finished it yesterday, and it was really good. I really liked the writing, and the translation is impeccable. The author is, she's an Argentine novelist, and the translation was done really well. Sometimes translated books kind of lose their flow for me, and I think that the translation didn't have that at all. It was translated by Sarah Moses, um, who's done some other French and Spanish translations in the past. But it won some awards, and I definitely wanted to check it out. And I was pretty surprised. It is a kind of near-future dystopian world where a animal virus has resulted in us not being able to consume animal products anymore, or we will mm-hmm. get sick and we will die or at least that's what the government is telling us. There's some kind of conspiracy theories in the book that the government is perpetuating a lie so that we control the population and can justify encouraging cannibalism and condoning cannibalism
2: for population control. That's kind of
1: the background conspiracy theory. But (laughs) this is a world in which it is perfectly legal to consume human meat. They call it special meat. Special and meat. A lot of the book is a, um, kind of pointing out that when we are doing things that we find very taboo and grotesque or wrong, we will put distance between us and that act by labeling it with different language. Um, so special meat instead of human meat or instead mm. of humans, they call the, uh, humans head, um, like head of cattle. Mm-hmm. And it's brought up multiple times throughout the book. And that's one area where I think the translation does a really good job because I think that could easily be lost in yeah. a translation, but it's, it's extremely good.
0: Yeah. That must be really tricky when mm-hmm. a lot of the, purpose and message of the book relies on the intricacies of the use of language and the subtleties within, that must be so tricky to translate.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really artfully done. The novella itself follows the main character, Marcos. And Marcos is grieving multiple things. He's grieving a child that he's recently lost. His child has passed away. and As a result of his wife's grief, she has moved away to live with her mother while she is processing this. And also, he is kind of grieving this transition from the world he once knew to this world of cannibalism. And for him, it is a particularly acute transition because he works in the meat processing industry. So he is his family historically has owned, um, a meat processing plant. Um, his father taught him all of the skills of the trade and, um, he was intended to run it, but he sold it subsequently and now just works as a right hand man to the boss. And so throughout his interactions, you see him interact with people at the tannery and people at the butcher shop and people at the laboratories that are now using human subjects to study what we would study in like rodents or um, non-human primates. Oh, so they use humans for that too yes. as well. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Because exposure to the animals in any way can any get form. you sick. Yeah, not just eating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a lot of fear of the Wait, birds outside. Wait, you can't have outside. like pets anymore? Yeah, people have to no, like put cats. down their pets.
0: Yeah. No, you didn't say that part. <laughs> it's really sad. It's I really thought it sad. was just about eating. I didn't know it was no. for everything. It's for That's everything.
1: Terrible. So no one can have pets. You can't ride a horse. People carry umbrellas when they're outside because they're scared if a bird poops on them that they'll get Uh sick and die. And so it's just really extreme. That's so sad. Where was I going with that? Oh, you see him interact with all of these different aspects of the industry and all of these people who are one step removed from the process almost. They're not doing the actual slaughtering of these people. And there's almost like a disconnect where they are talking about it in like a very joy-filled way. (laughs) Like they love their jobs and they love to make leather out of human skin. And it's really weird. And Marcos is like thinking in his head, like, this is really weird. So that's all very strange. So through these interactions, someone at a breeding center for these head sends him a gift. And this gift is a human female head and people have begun keeping domestic head. And Marcos has no interest in this. He is like, you have given me a burden. Now I have Mm. to take care of this thing. It's going to live in my barn. And I'm like really stressed out. I just lost my kid. I just lost my wife. And now you've given me like another thing to take care of. And eventually Marcos forms kind of a bond with this head that is living in his barn and he brings it into his house and (laughs) starts like living with this person person Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to tell how he thinks about this other individual Mm -hmm. um is it a pet is it a human is it having thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like moral questions that you have to ask in the situation does she speak? No. Oh, I have forgotten to mention this. To prevent, to kind of remove one thing that would make killing other humans harder, they remove their vocal cords. So yeah. they can't scream and they can't talk. And uh, it's just like really, I don't know. It just feels very dehumanizing. And that's what they're sure. doing. Yeah. But I think that what I liked most about this book is that it gave me A lot to chew on. There's just so much that I still feel like I'm processing and like kind of half baked thoughts on different topics that have been brought up throughout the book. But I've made a short list of the things that I've been chewing on since reading it. Yeah. Awesome. So first is the way that humans are portrayed, actual humans, like citizens are portrayed in this world. There's a brutality to these people. But almost like a, some of these people have a very civilized brutality. So there's a person who has a hunting grounds where they release a human head into the hunting grounds and let people hunt them and take trophies. And that's like a very rich activity. People who are very rich get to have this, um, opportunity. And it's, it almost reminded me of like Squid Game, um, Mm -hmm. there's like a civilized brutality where no one's really saying what they mean and what they want. But then there are people like they call them scavengers in the books where these are like the bottom of the barrel people that are still civilians and they're not being raised as head, but they are like getting the bottom of the barrel. They are killing people in the streets. If you're not home by curfew, then you have a chance of being killed and eaten. Mm -hmm. In the street, they rob hearses and eat dead bodies that are being transported from nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a very brutal world that's being depicted. There's It kind of almost reminds me of like a caste system, the way that you're splitting humans into people that can afford the meat products that are being sold to them people who are the scavengers and then people who are being raised as head and how is that decided and who initiated this process and what did that look like? Mm -hmm. There's Marcos, the main character, and his just total detachment from everything. Like He feels no passion, really, about any of what's going on. It's just his daily life and he just feels very detached from it and it's almost a survival mechanism. But then he has certain moments of tenderness and quietness where he's contemplating the way things used to be. And then he also has these moments of brutality, just like everyone else in this world. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting character to focus on because he sees the world for what it is, but he also is complacent with the world the way it is. And then – There's an overarching theme of like government control and government distrust and the need to think for yourself and make your own decisions on things, as opposed to listening to everything you are told and not making your own decisions. Yeah. And then there's definitely something to be said about just the meat industry in general and the way that we're removed from where we are getting our meat and the way that that is being Processed and the ethics of that, but I still haven't chewed enough on that idea yet. But Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah, I mean, it's just a really complex book for only being like 211 pages or something. Mm -hmm. There's a lot contained within it, but I tried to sum it up into just a couple of sentences and I wrote, I suppose this novella is a lens into the worst of humankind and the effects of losing respect for human life how even good and normal people can do horrible things as a result. But yeah, weird book, lots to think about. Definitely worth the read. It was an enjoyable read. It went really quickly. The quality of the writing is very high caliber. I think it totally deserves all the buzz it's getting.
0: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm curious how near the new near future is. Um And I'm also curious, does it ever explain... You don't have to answer if it's, like, spoiler-ish. Okay. But does it ever explain why society went in a cannibalism direction mm. in contrast to something like a plant-based direction yeah. or insect-based direction? Yeah. Like It what, does touch that on that. Seem, that doesn't seem like the first choice.
1: Well, so... It, it does touch on that and it's very
0: close to the beginning. So I don't think it's okay. spoiling anything. So they like know that's like an obvious question you would have. Yeah. It's like, what the, how and did we get to this as the accepted structure of the world?
1: Yeah. So that's why there's that conspiracy theory going around that it is to control the population because I see. it seems like obviously you would switch to a plant or insect based diet, but then scientists come out and say that oh no you can't get all the essential nutrients from a plant-based diet I see. you can't receive this any other way than eating meat too bad we don't have another source of meat mm. wink wink and then it just seems like the government has a stranglehold on what the scientists are willing to say and willing to endorse throughout the book um mm-hmm. It's brought up multiple times where they're talking about eating human brains and how scientists used to say that you couldn't do it, but now they say that it's fine. It's great. It's a delicacy.
2: Mm -hmm. It's just
1: very, very odd. Um, but yes, I think that it is acknowledged the fact that it doesn't really make sense to switch to cannibalism is acknowledged in the government conspiracy angle. That's interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think there's certainly. Overlap here Yeah Should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it Alright, you go first Okay, our friend diagram What do these two things have in common? One thing that they certainly seem to have in common Is an inherited knowledge of a trade Mm -hmm. Involving the processing of animals So in Happy People, A Year in the Taiga We see the implementation of inherited trapping and hunting and fishing knowledge throughout the course of the entire film. Mm -hmm. And it seems like in the case of Marcos in Tender is the Flesh, he has a lot of inherited knowledge about animal processing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that it it
1: even goes a, a step further than that in that we see every aspect of the process in the book. I mean, I guess we don't see it, but we are led through the facility. We understand that the head are led into special boxes and they're hit over the head with a club. And if that goes wrong, then X, Y, and Z can happen. And interesting. Then they're like, it gets gross, but a club. it like goes what the through. hell are
0: people doing?
1: Well, I- Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's how it works. I
0: guess that's how they do it. Why wouldn't they use like a cattle gun like in No Country for Old Men?
1: But they do talk about using a cattle gun, but they say that it's actually better to use the club. And there's like less chance of messing it up if you use a club instead of the cattle gun. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it all works. But I trust. I trust it. (laughs) But yeah, they just like whack people over the head with clubs and then uh, process the rest of the meat. And it's really weird. weird. It felt very like not in terms of content, but in terms of like the contemplative nature of the book. It felt very similar to A Brave New World in the way that it read, because I think of that book being kind of quiet. It's hard to describe a book as quiet, but there's a lot of like internal thinking going on in your main characters. Mm -hmm. And this actually leads me into one of the other overlaps that I had is that it seems like there's these quiet moments in Tender as the Flesh, but also Happy People, where there is just a lot of kind of observation and thinking going on in Marcos, Marcos's head. But that makes all of the conversations that he's having with people very like single sided where he's just like letting people give him information and he's observing and being very quiet and he has a lot of moments where he goes out to old places that are no longer inhabited like an old zoo um. and just like sit with his thoughts because that's the only place where he's not surrounded by this world and so i think that there's like Quiet and contemplative moments in both of these pieces of media.
2: Yeah,
0: I think that's definitely an overlap. It sounds like they both contain depictions of people that love doing their skilled jobs, but within a larger world that has an inherent brutality. Mm-hmm. So, in Happy People, the inherent brutality is just the harsh conditions. Mm-hmm. And you're watching people that love executing the trades and craps that they've learned, but like have to execute to survive. Yeah. And in Tender is the Flesh, it sounds like, I, I mean, I'm, I can't explain it without having read it myself, but you definitely said people have a strange love and devotion to their slaughter related jobs in yeah. this world that is definitely a different version of brutal.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, You also mentioned the concept of self-reliance being at the forefront of happy people. And I would also say that that goes hand in hand with the idea that in this world, in Tender is the Flesh, it's really important to think for yourself and decide how much you're going to let the government narrative drive your decision making. Mm-hmm. That stood out to me.
0: Yeah. And I think I had something similar where mm-hmm. it's a suspicion of large scale bureaucracy and mm-hmm. government systems. There's a really interesting part in happy people where the, a politician comes to visit the region by boat and everyone is completely like disengaged and distrustful of any mm-hmm. representation of bureaucracy or government because mm-hmm. it's a seems extremely distant from the lives that they're living and B is just always met with suspicion and like politicians are someone to be uh, to not trust because they're just there to acquire your land or acquire your votes so that they can do something harmful to the environment and there's definitely an undercurrent of distrust in in happy people as well yeah I think that's all I had. I had one more, which is that the two pieces do this thing in very different ways, but I think they both expose the distance from modern people and the modern Mm -hmm. meat industry. So obviously, in Tender is the Flesh, that distance is made apparent by substituting the subject of that industry from animals to humans but in happy people that distance is made apparent by showing people that exist outside of it and don't rely on anything that is industrially processed or produced. And they're, they are the means of production themselves Mm -hmm. and have no distance and how different that looks from going to the supermarket or going to the pharmacy. And I think these two pieces of media Show that contrast in different ways, but it's very apparent in both nonetheless.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting pairing.
0: Fascinating <laughs> overlaps. <laughs> Bye for now.